Well, hey, everybody. Thank you. There we go. Man, we got a quiet group. Everybody doing okay? Thank you. There we go. Awesome. My name is Dwight Castle. I'm the pastor of missions here at Redeemer, and I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to be here with you this evening. I have had the privilege and the joy of being on staff at Redeemer since it started about nine years ago. And uh, this is the first time that I've ever spoken at a college gathering. And so I think this is a real privilege for me. So thanks for having me. And before I actually get started with the text from tonight, I think that I owe it to you guys to just tell you a little bit about Matt Francisco, who you all know to some degree, but I've known Matt for a long time. He and I actually went to Samford together, which is what brought me here to Birmingham. We've known each other since that time, and this has absolutely nothing to do with the text, but uh, I know that a couple weeks ago when Matt was preaching, he talked about a trip to Mexico. Has anybody here heard that, how he went to Mexico? Okay. I was on one of those trips to Mexico with him as well, and it got me thinking, so I looked back through my old photos, and I actually found a picture or two that, (laughs) believe it or not, that's Matt and that's me, and uh, I have no idea what we're doing. I have no idea why he's in a wheelchair. Um, And there's actually another picture. So (laughs) I realize this is just as incriminating for me as it is for him. But I just felt like I needed to let you guys see that before we got started. So that's all. Awesome. Oh, there's one more. There we go. So. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm sure that you're really thankful I'm here. So, hey, um, we are going to dig into this text tonight. We are going to be continuing the sermon series that you guys have been going through this semester in Mark. We're going to be starting in Mark chapter 4 for tonight. We're going to be reading chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. So if you'll open up your Bibles and um, Follow along as I read this text, and do bear in mind this is God's Word. It's very different from anything else that we've laid eyes on today, anything that we've heard today or this week. This is the the Word of God to us. So Mark 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Lord, we come to you right now. We are desperate for a word from you. Lord, I am desperate for a word from you. I have nothing to bring right now, Lord. And so I ask you to come, Spirit, and to bring to life your word. Apart from you, we can do nothing, no good. And so, Lord, these words are dead to us unless your Spirit quickens them and quickens our heart. So speak, Lord, right now. We're listening. Amen. So I want to tell you a story that is from several years ago that's about myself in which I kind of learned an important lesson about myself. Now, I've always enjoyed the outdoors. I've been someone who likes going camping, likes backpacking. I do all the kind of outdoor activities that I can. I rock climb and kayak and do all these things. And so I've always kind of enjoyed pushing myself. I've enjoyed being adventurous. And this was only spurred on when I saw the movie Into the Wild. Has anybody ever seen that movie, Into the Wild, show of hands? Anybody? Okay. So if you're not familiar with the plot, there's this young guy who has a lot of a a bright future ahead of him. He's graduated from school, on his way to law school, wealthy family, great career path ahead. And he decides to leave it all and just go into the Alaskan wilderness. He hitchhikes there and he decides to just make it on his own. And for some reason, even though he faces disaster after disaster, I thought this was an amazing thing. And I thought, man, I would love to do that. I think that I would feel so enlivened. I would be so manly and self-sufficient if I could do that. And I had this kind of grandeur idea of myself that I think I could do that. And so this is years back. I decided, you know, I'm going to spend some time in the woods by myself. I'm just going to go out by myself. Now, I didn't want to do anything too crazy, so I thought I'll just start out with a one-nighter by myself. Took my dog, went out into the woods backpacking, 
And I quickly realized that I was not cut out for this. Even though I liked doing all the things outdoors, what I realized was something about myself that was actually a pretty important lesson that still sticks with me now. As I realized I'm an extroverted, relational person. I don't like being by myself for very long. And even though that's probably good for me from time to time, one night in the woods was enough to do me in. I was going crazy. And I was like, this is not something that I would ever want to do. Why would I want to do this? I had never realized that before. I was basically into my adulthood before I realized this vital lesson about myself. But in that experience, I had something revealed to me, something revealed to me about myself, about my heart, about my personality, something I hadn't realized before. And it changed the way that I viewed everything moving forward. It's been an impactful experience for me. And in our text today, Jesus is going to do something similar. He's actually going to tell a story that's going to reveal something about not only himself, but his listeners. As he tells this story, this parable, it's going to reveal something about the heart of those who are listening. He's going to teach them. So I want us to be making sure that we remember the context of what's been going on in Mark up to this point. Jesus is growing in popularity. He's becoming more and more famous, you could say. He's drawing record crowds. He's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's challenging the status quo. He's even standing up to the religious leaders of the day and challenging what they're teaching. And I sometimes think it's funny when I read the Bible to try to put the things that are going on here into our modern day terminology, especially with social media and everything. It's just kind of funny to me. So in other words, Jesus is trending. He is getting so much publicity. He's getting lots of followers, people who just hear the buzz about what's going on. His Instagram and Twitter feed are blowing up and he's attracting so many people that he's gone viral. And as with any newsworthy viral event, he's drawing a mixture of people. This crowd has some genuine seekers. It has the curious has the people who are critical of him, the people who are self-absorbed and they're there for their reasons, they have an agenda. But everyone who's coming is asking this question, who is this Jesus? What is he all about? What is this kingdom that he's talking about? And what does this have to do with me? How am I supposed to view this guy? Some people are confused by him. Some are actually offended by what he's saying. Some are intrigued and drawn to him, and some are repelled. Today's lesson draws these followers to a point of conflict, to a decision. And we're going to find out more and more in the life of Jesus through Mark that all of his words and his actions are going to continually evoke a response from people. People's response to Jesus is not only going to reveal more and more about who he is, but it's actually going to reveal more about who they are. It's going to reveal the condition of their hearts based off of how they respond to him. And today, I want to encourage you and I to think about the fact that Jesus is drawing us to the same point through this message. So we're going to hear today from this passage that we just read is one of the largest teaching chunks in Mark. There are two major teaching chunks, and this is the first. And so Jesus bookends this important time of teaching by saying, 
listen at the front end. And then at the tail end, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now he's saying, are you paying attention? Listen to this. I know I've already used one movie reference now, but I'm going to go and do one more. I like the movie The Prestige. If any of you guys have seen that, it's a very intriguing movie. And it starts out actually with Christian Bale's character saying the same type of thing. If you recall the movie, it's panning over the picture of these top hats. And he says, are you paying attention? And then at the end of the movie, it circles back to the same scene. And he asks the same question. Are you paying attention? Are you listening closely? And it draws you in. Jesus is doing this. He's saying, I'm about to say something that is important. You're not going to want to miss this. He's actually about to begin to answer the question that everybody has about him, but he's not going to be answering it in the way that they would expect. Jesus introduces this time of teaching by using parables. He actually does three back-to-back-to-back parables in a row that are all about farming and specifically using the image of a seed. And we're only going to look at the first of them today. We see in verse 13 here that Jesus says this first one we're looking at is actually the key to understanding all of the parables. So what is a parable? A parable is an interesting way of teaching or illustrating a point. It brings to mind a clear picture that folks can relate to. Farming was something they could relate to in that day and age, for example. The catch about a parable is that this picture is so vivid and so understandable that the listener can actually miss the meaning that is underlying the picture that is being used. And if you're like me, this is kind of crazy because you might have been under the impression that a parable is kind of like dumbing it down for people to make something incredibly clear for them, almost using childlike language and imagery. However, that's only partially true. To understand the underlying meaning of a parable requires attentive listening. It requires you to be engaged and a critical thinker. It requires digging and wrestling and reflecting and questioning on what you're hearing. N.T. Wright, he's an author and a theologian, he describes parables like this. He says that parables are like dreams in search of meaning. It's a dream, but you got to understand what the dream means. So a parable can either make a point more clear or it can actually make it more confusing. So Jesus decides to start his first big section of teaching by using parables. Now, this is a little odd. Why would he do this when it comes time for Jesus to finally make his vision, his mission statement of this kingdom work that he's doing very clear? He doesn't make it as clear as he could. He cloaks it in this kind of somewhat clear, somewhat confusing illustration form. And Jesus actually explains in verses 11 and 12 why he does it this way. And it's that the way in which he reveals himself actually reveals who is on the inside and who is on the outside. This is what he, the terminology he uses to describe those who understand the secret of the kingdom. And the way that he teaches reveals who is who. Those who have ears to hear are those who are given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, 
But Jesus is very intentional in the way that he is teaching here. The very mode of his teaching is beginning to speak to those who have ears to hear. So let us listen. Let's dig into this actual parable. Let's start by reading again verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it out and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in the original setting, when Jesus is teaching this, he stops it right there. The full audience, this great crowd that's gathered around him on the land, they don't get the explanation that we see the disciples get it later. Now, what would you think if it stopped right then, if you heard that and that's all? I admit I would be a little bit confused. I might even be a little bit put off by Jesus because it's so strange. Who is this guy? Why is he talking in code? This is how his disciples felt. Now they didn't say it at the time, but they came to him later in private and they said, Jesus, what in the world were you talking about? Can you explain this? And Jesus later reveals to them the meaning of this parable. And this is important. He says that unless God himself reveals it to you, unless he gives you the ears to hear, the eyes to see, you will miss the secret of the kingdom. But in this, Jesus explains to them that there's a farmer, there's a sower. It's a very clear picture for us. He's sowing seed. The seed is going in many different places. He doesn't just sow in one place, the place where he thinks will yield the best fruit. He's sowing seed kind of indiscriminately, wherever. And we learn from Jesus, the seed is the word of God. It's the message of the gospel, the truth about God. And the seed falls in four different places. We're going to talk about those four different places. These are four different types of people Jesus reveals. But before we dig into these four different people, I want to go ahead and kind of reveal the deck here, show you my cards because this is the key to the entire parable. I don't know if you noticed, but there is only one major difference between each of these four people. Only one thing changes, and it is the condition of the soil. The word that is sown is the same word, the same seed. The person who's sowing it, the sower, the farmer, he doesn't change, and he doesn't change how he sows it. He sows it in the exact same way. The property that he's sowing it on doesn't change. It's not a different day. It's not different weather conditions. It's the same for all of them. He's sowing it, but what changes? It's the state or the condition of the soil. What Jesus says is the condition of the person's heart. So we see that the seed actually reveals the type of soil that's already present. Now, this is really important for us because we're going to see how these different types of soil either receive the word or they don't. The seed is not automatically fruitful. The hearing of the word, when we hear the word, 
it does not automatically equal salvation. This sounds really obvious to us when I say it like that, but there's something kind of deceptive about it where we are in such a kind of churchy Southern culture environment that we think that just hearing the word automatically makes us Christians. But hear me, because a seed has been planted, it does not necessarily mean that anybody knows God. In fact, we're going to see something startling here. Three-fourths of the seeds that are sown here do not take root, do not bear fruit. Only one out of four of these people are actually found to truly know God. That's kind of scary. That's kind of startling to me. This should stop us in our tracks. Only one out of four are Christians in this story, especially because several of them have an appearance of being a Christian. So let's look at the first soil, verse four. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. So this first soil, it's the soil that is on the path. What happens to the seed? The birds come and immediately take it away. Now, this is really clear. This is actually the clearest of the four soils. Jesus says that when this person hears the word, Satan immediately comes and takes the seed away. Now, when I read this, it kind of startled me because Jesus says that Satan is taking the word away. It's not just that the person is rejecting the word themselves. That is the end result. But it happens because Satan takes it from them. Now, there's a certain reality here that we are reminded of. And it's that we are always involved in the spiritual world, a spiritual battle that's going on around us. In Ephesians 6, Paul says these words, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this shouldn't actually be a surprise to us that Satan is actively trying to take away God's fruitful work. But how does Satan take away the word? The text doesn't actually teach us that. It just says Satan takes away the word. Now, I think there are lots of ways that Satan can do this in our life, but I want to highlight just one. I think that Satan can take away the word from us by feeding us doubts. And doubts can turn into unbelief. So this is something that I would venture to say we all have dealt with at some point. Maybe some of us are dealing with this right now. Now hear me, doubt is a normal part of the Christian life. It can actually be a healthy process of sanctification. So the very presence of doubts for some of you right now should not mean doom and gloom. Don't worry, you're not necessarily this first person here. But what we do with our doubts is important. When Satan, when he feeds us doubts all the time and inundates us with doubts, he's doing so about the person and the character of God. This is what he does. He's the deceiver. He has done this from the very beginning. If we look back at creation, this is what he did with Adam and Eve. God made his word really clear to them. Don't eat from this tree. Satan comes up into Eve's ear and starts whispering, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? What is he getting at? Is, is he trying to keep you from something good? Does he not want you to know things like him? And Eve falls into sin. She believes the doubts 
and she falls into unbelief. This is the same thing that Satan did with Jesus in the wilderness in his temptation. He actually came to Jesus using scripture and twisting it. And Jesus fought it back with scripture. This is the same thing that Satan does for us all the time. And if we're not careful, if we don't counter these doubts with truth, it can turn into unbelief, into disbelief. And then Satan takes away the seed, the word, and it never bears fruit. How else can Satan take away the word? Tons of ways. Maybe you had a bad past experience with the church or with a Christian and you've been burnt and you don't want anything to do with it again. Maybe it's through direct antagonism and opposition. You just don't even want to tolerate hearing about Christianity. Or maybe someone's apathetic. Maybe they just have no desire. There are lots of ways that Satan can take the word from us. Whatever the means of the enemy, it means that the word never has a chance to grow and this person dies. So let's read in verse five about the next soil. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Now this is a much more complex situation. When this seed falls on the ground, it actually springs up at first. Jesus says that this person not only hears and receives the word, but they receive it with joy. So by all appearances, this person has become a Christian. They hear the word, they seem to believe, they even grow, they endure for a time. If we stopped right there, we would say, yeah, that person's a Christian. But Jesus doesn't stop there. This person suddenly faces tribulation and persecution and hardship on account of the word, and they stumble and fall away. So what happened? The more I read about this as I was preparing, this really intrigued me. I realized something. The key here is not actually in this image, the scorching sun, the persecution and the trials in life. That's not what causes this person to die. That's the trigger, but it's not really the underlying undoing of them. The cause is that they have no depth to prepare them for the trials that will come, especially the trials that uniquely face Christians. If you read verse six, you see the sun, the sun, it scorches them. They are hurting, they're down, but they're not dead yet. The problem comes because this major blow throws them so badly that they have no solid roots to ground them and then they wither away. So somehow this enthusiastic, eager person, they joyfully receive the word, but then they fail to get depth. They fail to get roots. They haven't cultivated the things, the spiritual disciplines of life to help them truly know God. They haven't studied the word. They haven't built community. They don't understand the deeper truths about the faith. Hear me, friend, life is hard. Sometimes it's so hard, we almost feel like we can't bear it. I know this, you know this. I don't have to tell you that. The Christian is not excluded from this. In fact, scripture actually teaches us that as Christians, we might incur more pain, more suffering as a result of our faith. Before Jesus goes to the cross where he's gonna suffer, he tells his disciples some really encouraging things like this. Here's what he says. 
You will all be scattered after this. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will be hated and persecuted by the world. Paul picks up the same tone. And in 1 Peter 4, he says, don't be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Paul's saying, this is normal. Suffering is going to come. And for the Christian, we have to expect it. Now, let me tell you about something in my life. About a year and a half ago, my wife and I experienced what was the hardest situation that I've ever faced in my life. And I felt at times like it was nearly going to put me under. We'd been dealing with infertility. We'd been wanting to get pregnant. And for whatever reason, the Lord had kept us from that for what seemed like an eternity. We prayed and we were asking God, and I won't even go into all the details of the doubts and the questions and the fears that were brought up from this. But after a time, the Lord saw fit to make us pregnant. We were happy. We were thrilled. 12 weeks in, we go to our appointment and we realize that there's something wrong with our son. There are some serious developmental issues going on. And it looks like at best, we are going to have a son who's going to have severe disabilities for his whole life. Now, I can't even begin to tell you how my worst nightmares were brought up in my mind. Suffering and wondering what the Lord was doing, where his hand was in this, this was all we could think about. But we began to prepare, and we were trying to trust the Lord the whole time. We're praying for healing. And then we go to our 16-week appointment, and they can't find a heartbeat. We lost our son. We were reeling from this. There were times where it felt like the loss was so overwhelming that we couldn't bear it. And in this time, I felt like I could relate to this seed in this parable, the seed that suddenly felt withered by the intense sun. I felt dried up and nearly dead. In that moment, something subconscious happened, though, something behind the scenes, beneath the surface, when I had nothing in my present external reality to hold on to, the Lord took me to my reserves to the roots, the root system that he had been forming. The Lord brought family and friends around us. They sustained us. They brought us meals. They prayed for us. They wept with us. Internally, when I struggled, the Lord would remind me of scriptures that I didn't even remember I had learned so long ago. He brought me to sermons to encourage me. I wept in prayer and the Lord encouraged my heart. In a hundred different ways, the Lord had been preparing me and my wife for that day through the mundane routine walking with the Lord over time. He had been building a deep root system that he was establishing. Now, I don't know what you have been through. Some of you have probably been through pain and suffering that I can't even begin to fathom. Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe you're currently walking through intense times of sickness with people that you love. Maybe your battle is different. Maybe it's more internal. Maybe you suffer from anxiety or depression. Maybe you hate yourself on the inside, on the outside. Maybe you can't stand to look at yourself in the mirror. Maybe you don't like the way that you act. Maybe you're stuck in patterns of sin that you just can't seem to escape from. 
I don't know what you're going through, but chances are everyone in here is going through something. And if you aren't right now, it's going to come soon. And for the Christian, these times are promised us. On our own, will we be able to withstand these? No. But will we be able to show the root system that the Lord has built that will sustain us when that comes? Will we find ourselves rooted in him? The Christian life is a life of dying, of pain, dying to self. Jesus uses language like taking up your cross, following him, dying to our old self, our old man. This is what the Christian life is. And we are going to find out in these times, were we in this with this kind of surface level, immature faith that was just in it for the emotional high that started? Or has Jesus built something deeper in us? Let's move on to the third soil. Let's look at verse seven. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it out and yielded no grain. So this soil has an interesting angle to it. When the seed is cast, this person seems to hear the word and entertain it for a time. It's not an immediate rejection like the first one. Something seems to be growing up because it gets choked out by thorns. Rather than the fruit that the seed growing up and bearing fruit, the thorn grows up. It matures. Jesus' description of what the thorns are are kind of disturbing for our present context. These are the things that threaten to choke out the word of God in our lives. The cares, the burdens, the responsibilities of life, the deceitfulness of riches, the flashy, sexy things of life that attract us, the desire for wealth, comfort, all that life has to offer. The growth of a thorn is unlike the attack of a bird. It's not sudden. It's unlike the attack of persecution and trials in our lives. It's a slow, steady growth. It's something that wraps itself around you day by day, so quietly that you might not even notice. And the thorn-like things of Jesus's time are the same ones as ours. What occupies your time? What occupies your mind? What are you living for? If you could actually dig deep into your heart right now, what takes up your affections? What do you desire? If you're living for the weekend, if you're living for the high times, the parties, that's going to leave you empty. Do you constantly think about your future, finding the right person, finding the right job, getting comfort and wealth? Do you worry about all of the silly things of life? Do you even worry about the good things, the gifts from God? These things begin to occupy us to such a degree that it controls our affections, the cares of this world, the desires of this world. Jesus says that this person doesn't really understand him and they prove themselves to be dead and unfruitful, even though they think they're alive. Now, this is sobering for us. Maybe at one point we prayed a prayer. Maybe we grew up going to church. Maybe we have lots of friends and family who help us to feel like we're in that good circle. But this does not mean that we truly know God. Jesus says that not everyone can receive this. 
So the final soil, the good soil, this is the person who receives the word. Jesus says they hear it, they accept it, and they bear fruit. Jesus is saying that this fruit is not just going to be a small harvest. It's going to be an unfathomable harvest. It's going to be one where he's going to produce so much fruit in our lives that we're only going to be able to point to God. So why does Jesus paint these pictures of these four seeds? What is he trying to get across? Remember that he's beginning to answer that lingering question that everyone has. Who is Jesus? What is his kingdom like? He is describing that his word goes out like a seed, quiet, unassuming. It takes root in the fertile heart. Jesus is teaching in this way because he wants to draw every listener to this point of conflict. He's drawing them in. He's drawing us in. This parable is meant to reveal the condition of our hearts. And we're to ask that question that he's asking everyone to whom he's teaching. What soil am I? Am I fertile soil? Or is it hard, shallow, and divided? And the answer to this question does not come easily. We might not even understand the question fully, much less the answer. No one who heard Jesus teaching this understood it at first. They needed Jesus to reveal the secret of the kingdom to them. They needed him to give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is receptive. The amazing thing about this parable is that Jesus does reveal it to some. And we see that the people that he reveals it to are those who want it, those who ask for it, who wrestle with its meaning, who come to him and say, Jesus, I don't get it. And he says, let me help you. What's more, the only way that any of us ever get to that point to even want it, to even have the desire, is because he gives us the faith. He is the one who gives us the receptivity, the desire to even know the secret. He is the one who makes our heart fertile. He is the one from start to finish. Scripture teaches that no one understands God. No one seeks God. So if we have any hint of desire at all, it comes from him granting us faith. Ephesians 2 says, by grace you have been saved. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This means that you, right now in your seat, trying to figure out what soil am I, as Jesus has instructed us to think and wrestle with this, if you're trying to figure this out, be comforted. God is actively right now in the very thought of trying to figure that out. He is working in you. He's opening your eyes, your ears, your heart. He's the only reason that you even ask that question or that you have that desire. Listen, ponder it, wrestle with it. If you're afraid, afraid that you might be one of the other soils, know that Jesus is revealing himself to you and calling you out of that. He is cultivating the soil of your heart even now. Just like the first soil, he has already faced Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness, and he defeated them in the cross and the resurrection. 
Like the second soil, if you're worried that you might not have the rootedness to withstand the storms to come, know that Jesus did. He withstood all of the trials, all of the persecutions that came his way. And now he is the firm foundation that we can be rooted into. If you, like the third seed, are fearful that the word might be choked out in your life by the cares of this world, know that Jesus wasn't choked out. He took on the burdens and the cares of this world, and he defeated them. He gave up the riches of heaven, and he forsook the cares of this world to come for us. Friend, Jesus is the seed that died and fell to the ground so that much fruit could be born, so that he could bring us many sons and daughters to know him. And now he calls us to receive the word, to grow and to bear fruit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will work through my muddled words, that you will work through confusing texts and pictures, Lord, and that we will hear your message. Lord, may we take these things and first apply it to our hearts and our lives, and then may we see how you're also applying it to those around us. Lord, we don't know who is what soil around us, but we're to sow indiscriminately. We're to sow your word in season and out on the path and in the thorns and in the rocky ground. And we're going to pray that you are preparing soil. We're praying that you're preparing our hearts and that we won't be fooled into thinking we know you and then realize we don't. And so, Lord, may this, the truth of your word take root in our hearts. We can't do it on our own. We need you to change our hearts, Lord. Help us in your name. Amen.